0: Hey guys, welcome back to the Pulpit Pew podcast and this week's adult Bible study. As we continue our study, we just started it last week, a brand new study, six week study on the life of Elijah. And last week we saw a bold entrance out of Elijah's. He kind of comes out of nowhere, he comes out of the rugged mountains, he enters the throne room of one of the most wicked kings and his wife, Jezebel, and he makes an announcement. Uh, based on the promises of God, and we got into that a little bit last week. It is on the podcast. If you missed it, you can go back and listen to it. I had a new listener uh, today. Was talking to me at church, and he said, "Hey, you, I went back to hear the Sunday school, and you did something else during the week." And that's true. During the week on Thursdays, we're posting about the journey through the Bible, and then on Sundays, I post a pre-recorded uh, uh, lesson that was taught in class. So a lot of you have picked up on that, and you've been coming, going along with us for a while on this ride of the podcast, but some are new listeners, and uh, they're figuring that out, so i got to repeat myself every once in a while, but without further ado, let's go with Elijah down to a brook called Cherith, and then over to a widow woman's house, all right? Let's see what that's all about. Have a great week. Look forward to talking to you more on Thursday about our journey through the Bible, but without further ado, here is the next study on the life of Elijah. Let's take our Bibles go back to 1 Kings 17. <clears throat> 1 Kings 17. And last week we began this series on Elijah and we talked about his bold entrance. <clears throat> i got this frog in my throat I want to get out before we get going here. But we talked about Elijah's bold entrance as he As he comes onto the scene, kind of out of nowhere, he's from the rugged, mountainous area, and then all of a sudden he comes into the, the palace, and he stands before the king. The king who, you may remember, when we talked last week, we saw that he did more to provoke the Lord God to anger than any of the kings before it. So he was already, by himself, a very wicked man. And then you add on top of that his wife, and what was her name? Jezebel. She had a father that that was ruled over the Zidonians, I believe. She did more to introduce Baal worship into Israel than any other person. And so her tag team with Ahab were very destructive on the spiritual nature of the nation. And so Elijah one day moved, I think, by God, whether it be... um, We don't know how that first conversation went between God and Elijah but he came to the king based on what I said, a promise from Deuteronomy, and he said, it's not going to rain until I say so. And that's a pretty big announcement. you got this wicked king and a wicked wife, and now you're making this announcement that's going to destroy the economy, it's going to destroy the people for a while, and it's going to embarrass and make the king look bad. If you make a king look bad, they just kill you back then. I mean, it, there's... He was the final say, and that's what he was about to do. And so now we come to the next lesson that I want to talk about. And I'll tell you, I've just been marinating in this text all week. Part of me wanted to break up into the last five weeks on this next scene, but I'm not. But there's part of me that thought about taking two weeks to talk about it, and I don't know if I will totally do that, but there's just something to me that i just love about this passage there's something peaceful about it there's something that every time i think about this brook cherith it just helps me and so hopefully that'll be conveyed to you guys here today but look starting in verse 2 coming fresh off of his pronounce his announcement to the king it says this in verse 2 and the word of the lord came unto him elijah saying get thee hence and turned eastward and hide thyself. It's interesting that God is telling his man, his prophet, I want you to hide. And God's all powerful. God can do anything. Snap snap his fingers and Ahab's dead. But he wants to take Elijah and he's going to hide him. He says, I want you to go eastward and you're going to hide thyself by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan. You're not going to the Jordan River. That is the popular river. That's where every all the stories are. Plenty of water and everything. He said, I want you to go just to this brook. It's called Cherith. And I'll tell you what that word means in a minute. And it's before Jordan. He says, and it came to pass that thou shalt, and it shall be, sorry, that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. There seems to be an emphasis In the Bible, in these passages, we're going to read that one right there, and then another one we're going to read on that word there. But notice he said again, I want you to go by this brook. You're going to drink of this brook. And he's commanded the ravens to feed him there at that exact spot. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and dwelt by the brook Cherith, that is, before Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning and bread and flesh in the evening and he drank of the brook and it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land which seems common sense i mean he said it's not going to rain god sends him down by this place that eventually is going to dry up now what and the word of the lord came unto him saying in perfect timing the word of the lord came and saying arise and Get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering sticks, and he called her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to fetch it, he called her and said, "Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand." Now you just imagine if you were just in your home with your son, and all of a sudden this guy just shows up and says, "Hey, go go fetch me a piece of bread or something to eat," and you'd be like, "Who is this guy? What's going on?" And especially, what do you what do we know? Just think think about what you know about widow women in the Bible times. Can you? What do we know about widow women in the Bible times? Anybody remember? It was pretty low class, wasn't it? not a lot of things out there for them. And, and and so they were often neglected and left even below servants back then. I mean, they had no rights. Remember the in the New Testament, even in the New Testament that woman went to the judge, wanted to be wanted to be uh the judge to listen to her case against her adversary. And the judge is like, "Just leave me alone." There was widow women in the Bible times had it, it, from society i'm not talking about from christians but from society had really no rights they were just kind of outcast and that's why i think in the new testament it's interesting that that paul writes under the inspiration of the holy spirit hey take care of those widows it shows the compassion of the church we should he says take care of the widows they lived in a different time period when the widows were being neglected but they were starting to come to the churches and he said let's take care of them they're specific widows that's a whole other thing for another time but but so now God takes him from a brook that seems a little bit interesting now. He takes him to a widow woman, which was the lower of the class, and she's poor at that. So why are you taking Elijah to this poor woman, this widow woman, and he takes her there? Where did I leave off? It says, let's see, verse 13. Let's go to 12. And he said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but a handful of meal, and a barrel, and a little oil, and a cruse." Behold, I am gathering two sticks, that I may go and dress it for me and my son, that we may eat and die. This is her last bit that she's got. She's like, hey, we're just going to eat this stuff and then we're going to die. And Elijah said to her, Fear not. Go and do as thou hast said, but make me thereof a little cake first, and bring it unto me, and after make it for thee and for thy son. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, The barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruse of oil fail, until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah. And she and he and her house did eat many days. And the barrel of the meal wasted not, neither did the crews of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Elijah." So we're going to cover these two stories here for just a little bit today, but the emphasis that I noticed was that word there. He was now just coming off of this big announcement to the king. He's kind of wondering, God, what do you got next for me? I've done what you've told me to do up to this point. I don't know what to do. And God, in the right timing, in the right moment, came to him and gave him his next instructions. And his next instructions was to go to this little brook, which seems a little out of the way, but God said that there... I will take care of thee. And so I was emphasizing and thinking this week about that word there. This this place that he was told to go to, this there that he was told to get to, seems to indicate God's will. And even though it seems a little clueless for us, now we know the Bible, we've read the Bible, but if you're just Elijah in that moment, you would think, why that spot? But looking back, that place, that there, that brook, was exactly where God's will was. And as long as he got there, he was fine. Why? Because that's where God wanted him to go. If he had stopped a mile short, this wouldn't have been the story that we're going to talk about. If he just said, you know what, that just, I'm going to go to Jordan, actually. There's a lot more water. It's going to last a lot longer. The brook's going to dry up fast. The Jordan River's going to be running for a while. It just seems to make more sense to go over there instead of here where God said. He's going to be in a mess. God said, get there. And if you get there, ravens are going to feed thee. Which isn't that an interesting thing? I don't know if I'm going to get to that in my notes. Ravens are not birds that deliver food to you. I don't know that there is birds that do that. But ravens are birds that eat meat. They enjoy food. They are scaven- They go and take and steal and scrap. They don't just come like little canaries. I don't know. I don't like birds at all. But uh, little canaries, they just picture them nice and whatever. These things go and try to take food. And so God says, I'm going to, take, I'm going to take, choose a bird that's usually known as going around and taking food in the scavenger, and I'm going to use that bird, that type of bird, and I'm just going to, however God does it, isn't it, I just can't wait to get to heaven and just sit back for a thousand years and say, hey, just explain to me how you talk to animals. I just want to know how you talk to animals. How do you go about all this? But, and somehow he relays a message to these ravens, And they know at a certain time those ravens just fall in line, exact obedience to what the creator of this world says. And they go and they find this man just sitting by a brook. And what I believe to be just seems like a peaceful scene. Just, you know, the sound of a brook. I've been fishing a lot with the boys and we'll go down to doe creek over here and sometimes i got to go once by myself but i'll just go there and you just stand and listen to that water the water as it kind of ripples down and over the waterfalls and that sound is just relaxing and soothing and that's where he was going to stay he was just going to be sitting there all by himself but why would god take him there because he's pretty big time now he just stood up to the king There's no rain coming for a while now. He is the prophet. So why would God take him there? As I was thinking about that there for others in the Bible, before I actually get to the story, the there for Noah was an ark. That's where he needed to get. As long as he got there, he was fine. For Daniel, that there was a prayer room that led him to a lion's den. But he was safe because he was where God wanted him. For the three Hebrew boys, that there was a fiery furnace, but they were safe because that was where God was with them. For Ruth, there was in a field owned by Boaz. She didn't know how this thing was going to turn out. But as long as she got there, she was fine. She was in God's arms and God took care of her. For David, there was a throne. For Paul, there was a prison cell. For Jesus, there was a cross. But all of them, as long as they were yielded to the plan of God, were safe when they got there so what does there represent well i think it represents god's will and so i want us to talk about why was just give some thoughts on here maybe what was god doing to elijah here what may god be doing in our lives well the there here the brook cherith i say first of all is a place of purpose it was a place of purpose And I think one of the purposes that God was taking Elijah from this mountaintop experience in front of the king, pronouncing this as a prophet. I mean, I don't know what it's like to be a prophet, but I would imagine this would be a pretty high for a prophet. You would be, this would be something you go back and say, wow, I just got to stand before the most wicked king and his wife and pronounce this judgment based on God's word and God gave me the authority to that's a pretty big moment. It's a temptation maybe for any man and maybe for any prophet to get full of themselves. It's a temptation. It has to be a temptation. Even Paul understood this temptation in the New Testament when he was called up to heaven in in First Corinthians chapter number twelve, and he came back down, he said, Lest I be lifted up with pride I was given what? Do you remember? A thorn in the flesh. It's tempting to be lifted up with pride. And I'd say, first of all, this place, the reason why God took him to this brook, it was a place of humility. God was humbling him, keeping him humble so that he could be greatly used of God in, in further days. And sometimes we miss God's will for our lives because we're not willing to humble ourselves. A lot of in our society today is full of self, full of pride. And sometimes we miss on getting to our there. We're getting to the place where God wants us so God can use us because we're not willing to humble ourselves. Sometimes it's a humbling of ourselves to apologize. Sometimes it's a humbling of ourselves to just take a step back in life where we are. But we, if we don't get in the place of humility, we're not going to see God's blessing. And I don't think Elijah sees what we all know is coming. I, mean, it, I, I shouldn't say we all know. But if you know the story of Elijah, you know he's going to get to Mount Carmel here soon. And you know the biggest scene that most people talk about in Elijah's life is this battle that he has in chapter 18. But I think that one of the reasons why I love chapter 17 is because there is no battle at Mount Carmel if he doesn't learn today's lessons. And the first lesson he learned was a lesson on humility. He, God take, took him to a place where now he's just hiding. He was so bold and confident in front of the king, and now this looks like a coward move. I am hiding from this guy that I just stood up to, but God is humbling him so that God could use him. A.W. Tozer, if I could find this quote. A.W. Tozer said this. Let me see if I can find it. I think it's right here. A.W. Tozer said this. He says, It's doubtful that God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. And I want you to think about all the men and women in the Bible. Let's just take a second. You're going to name one that I'm going to miss. Okay, name a popular, just someone name a popular man or woman in the Bible that God used. A popular one, okay? Because I'm not going to dive deep into my mind and think about some of the stories of the non-popular. But can you? Okay, Moses. How did God hurt Moses? Well, he couldn't speak well, right? That was a pretty humiliating thing for him. Because he even said, God, I can't speak. But God humbled him and said, it's not about your speaking, it's about me. It's about me working through you. Hey, how else did God humble Moses? Took him to the backside of the desert. He's not popular, he's not famous. He was raised in the palace, now he's on the backside of the desert. Nobody knows who this guy is. For 40 years, he's a nobody. But God knew who he was. God humbled him. God had to hurt him so he could deeply bless him. What else? Who else? David, boy, how did David get hurt? Some was his own choosing, right? Some was his own choosing of, of, of foolish things that he did. But David, one of my favorite scenes—it's probably—it's something about the isolation. There's something to me that I like about isolation. But one of my favorite scenes—it's like this scene: is God took him to a cave, and he was in a cave hiding, all alone. And in that cave, he had he, he, had, he had had to abandon his family. He had no one, and God brought this ragtag group of people the outcasts it says they were in distress they were in debt all these people god brought them to him rallying around him but god humbled him he went from being anointed to be king at 16 to running for his life he was deeply hurt but god blessed him so we could go on paul was deeply hurt he was beaten he was thrown into prison he would, all these things but god greatly blessed him we're still reading the bible that he he touched years later and we could go on. Joseph was deeply hurt. He was betrayed by his family. But then God used him to be second in command and spare the nation. Any man or woman you see in the Bible and even throughout history that God greatly uses, he deeply hurts them. And we use the word hurt in such a mean, we think of hurt as a mean thing. Like if I went and punched Ryan, I mean, I mean that would hurt. I mean, that would hurt, Ryan. All right? Just kidding. But we think of hurt as like something mean or mad. I don't think A.W. Tozer, he's an old-time writer. I don't think he meant it in like an amimi. I think he says, God humbles us so that he can bless us. Because remember, what's God do? God resists the proud, but he giveth grace to the humble. God resists the proud, but he exalteth the humble. And it says twice in Proverbs that before honor is humility. It says it twice in Proverbs. Humility is the path to pleasing God and i think god we don't know there's nothing elijah did wrong in verse one he did nothing wrong in verse one but i think god knowing what we need as humans he took him to a brook in isolation to keep him humble so that god could greatly use him. and so that one purpose i think there was a place of purpose it was a purpose of humility but i'd say it's also a purpose of preparation Because before Elijah was ever going to see fire fall on Mount Carmel in chapter 18, he had to spend time alone in Cherith and in Zarephath with this widow woman. God was preparing him. You know the Olympics. We I think was it Dad was talking about the Olympics recently, and he said was saying something. But you know when you go to the Olympics, you prepare for four years. I mean it's intense preparation. Coworker of mine, new coworker of mine. I guess he he shoots long distance. I said, you're not an assassin, are you, or something like that? And he's like, No, 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 no. But he's used to shoot in competition. And I guess at one point he was working to maybe even get to the Olympics. And he got he said he got in the top. I, I, the guy kind of talks over my head sometimes, and I just fake it as a banker there a little bit, you know. But uh he was talking over my head, but he was saying that like to be in the Top of the world, you got to be in the, like the top three percent of these competitions. I mean, they're big companies. I don't know anything about shooting long range and all this, but he said he got in the top two and a half percent. But he said the gap still from me in that two and a half percent to get to the people that go to the Olympics was still like so wide, because those people he said spend about twenty hours a day shooting long distance. And he said I had a wife and kids, and he's like I got to work. And spending 20 hours a day, I couldn't do it. So he was in the top so many percent, but he had to... Those people who go to the Olympics, they're not sitting around like me with a thing of Pringles and some chocolate chip cookies and watching a movie on Netflix. They're not those people. They are investing their life into this. And I think God wanted Elijah to be that man on Mount Carmel that was going to stand up against these prophets, but he was taking him to a school of cherith. The word, school, the word cherith, by the way, I forgot to tell you this in the first point. It's fine. Or the first... Whatever, but the word cherith means to cut, it means to cut down. And it's got the idea, to me, The an interesting name that God was taking Elijah to this place to kind of cut him down so that he could be used. And there's times when he does that with us. God doesn't take away all the bad of our lives, he allows painful moments because it's a school for us. I like to think of david in that cave that was there was an isolated moment for god to teach him i like to think of elijah this brook Cherith. it's a moment of isolation for years so god could teach him he was cutting him in a sense the word Cherith means to cut or to cut away he was cutting away any filth in his life so that he could truly bless him and so A lot of times we are seeking God's big will for our life. Like we want to know those big things. What's going on? i got some teenagers in here. We want to know the big things like who am I going to marry? What's my job going to be? And a lot of times we want those big things, but we fail to obey the small specific things that God wants every single day. That's where God's building us. Every day you are going to say, God, how, how can I just obey you today? Do I just need to be the right husband, the right wife today? Yeah. I just need to spend some time with you in the Word today. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm in my Bible reading right now. We're going through Ezekiel in our chronologically. <laughs> I'm not getting a ton out of Ezekiel right now. It's a tough book, so that doesn't mean I just throw it away and say it doesn't matter. No, every day I need to spend some time with God. May not all be the wow moments like this chapter that I love in in First Kings but you're just spending time with God. It's the little moments that God is using to prepare us, and that's what he was doing here. And it's during these moments, like by this brook Cherith, that Elijah was learning about God in a much greater depth. I found in my life, and maybe you found it to be true, that you, I've grown closer to God in the painful moments, more close to God in the painful moments of life than I have when everything's going great. It's in those painful moments of life that we learn to depend upon God that drive us to back to the relationship we should be. And so there's a purpose in, in, in this will of God, and it was to humble him, I believe. It was to prepare him, I believe. And to do that, God isolated him. And, and I do think, though it's nowhere in my notes, but I think it's good in your life to find some time of isolation. I don't mean you go home to your husband or your wife and say, hey, I need about three weeks away from you, okay? I'm not saying that. But I do think that you can find time of isolation in your personal life, that you can go take a walk and pray. I think that's one of the best things. For me, in the last year, it's on my lunchtime. It's It's easy, I don't have anything to do. I go to the graveyard and I walk. You say, why the graveyard? Well, I'm not weird like that, but my son is buried there. It's a reminder of pain. But I walk and I, and I pray and I listen to books or something. I do something that's isolating time but it's therapeutic to me maybe something different for you it may be fishing it may be hunting maybe sitting in a deer stand i don't know but find a way of isolation where you're alone with god and find some alone time with god each day i think it's it's healthy it humbles us it gets us focused and that's what god was doing so it was a place of of purpose but there was also this chair this brook this isolation it was also a place of provision god was providing for him as i've mentioned. He said he was teaching Elijah that I'm going to be your provider. And he said, if you get there, if you get to that place that I'm telling you in my will, I will make sure the ravens feed you there. Could the ravens have fed him in the palace? Yeah, all God had to do was say, hey, ravens, go to that palace. And they could have fed him, but that wasn't God's will. God's will was get down here in this place. And as long as you are right here, you'll have all the food that you need. And so he got to the center of God's will and when he did, in the morning and the night he had ravens, as I've already said, not common birds to deliver food, but he got to see God's provision. And I think the same is true in our lives. It may not be a brook, but when you and I continue to just place ourselves in God's will, and it's easy at that statement. I've been in church my whole life and I've said all of the things. That's one of the hard things about teaching is I want to correct myself every time or say what I think you may be thinking right now, but a lot of times we say, okay, sinner of God's will. I don't know where God's will is. Well, God's will for you this morning was to be right here, and you're here. Great. Just don't look at God's will as such a big thing. God's will is just obedience, daily obedience. And as long as you are obeying God, and you're walking in His Spirit, and you're obeying Him, you can know that God is going to take care of you. And that doesn't mean that you're not going to have painful moments because as i've said god will blow pain into our lives at times but he always provides elijah's going to go through some painful times here but he's still got the ravens he still god knows exactly what is going on and so he learned that this is yeah a place of purpose but it's a place of provision and that god was providing exactly what he needed in verse 4 we saw that he's going to have drink from the brook that's what he was going to need He's going to have the, the ravens to feed him there. That was exactly what he needed. And then when he went down to Zarephath, he said, you're going to have to meet this little woman. She's going to feed you there. There was a place of provision. But can I say something? I don't have this in my original notes, but here's what I was thinking on this week. Here's what I was thinking on this week. That's where I knew this lesson would get a little bit crazy because when I have to think about, not crazy, but I knew I was going to get away from my notes because when I'm thinking on a passage so much, it, that just grips me. But here's what I was thinking about. Well, usually when we study this passage, all we focus on is Elijah. But God was looking out for more than just Elijah here. God saw Elijah, and he's the big deal here. But God knew miles away in Zip, Zip, um, Zipporah or Zarephath, God knew there was an outcast widow woman that also was going through some pain. And our focus is on Elijah because Elijah's the prophet. He's the story. He's the one we're going to learn about. But God was sitting in heaven looking at, yeah, Elijah, but he said, I know I got a widow woman over here, and I think she was calling out for some help. Think about that widow woman. At the time when God was watching over him by this brook, there was a widow woman over there thinking, I'm running out of food, I've got nothing. And this widow woman was thinking, I'm going to die. I have no, no provision. No one has provided anything. I've got nobody. It's just me and my son, and I'm going to die. And I think our God, as he looked down on Elijah, who we all look at as this hero, he also saw this nobody woman. And he thought, this is a good chance for me to teach both of them. See, God sees us all. God has a love for all, and he's he's constantly working all of these plans. And though Elijah needed to learn a a lesson on humility, and though he was going through some pain, and though he needed to learn a lesson on provision, God looked over here and said, hey, here's a woman that needs to learn about provision too. And here's an opportunity for me to teach them both. And think about the lesson she learned because... As here comes in this man, and God is going to use both of them together, and as this comes in, this lady had to learn a big lesson if I was teaching a lesson on her, because when he comes in, he says, hey, go ahead and feed me first. She's thinking, this is all I have. You know what I'm saying in that case? No. You try to touch one of my ten chicken nuggets from McDonald's, we're fighting. One. (laughs) Shell's had to learn a few lessons over the last five years. Because... Man, ten, ten chicken nuggets is not enough. Really, they need to do like a fifteen-piece. is like you look like just—it's bad. I do it all the time, but twenty's like, twenty's perfect. But it's—it's it's socially, it's not. People are like, oh, you got a twenty-piece, huh? You're in a bad So you need something between ten and twenty. But ten's like on the small side. But it feels, and then when I get ten, and all of a sudden one's gone, I'm rolling up the sleeves like who's who touched? Was it a kid? I'm going down to kids, and it's Shell. All right, she so touched one of my nuggets, and it's. I, going with that oh yeah so here's this widow woman and she's got her 10 piece and all of a sudden here comes elijah and says hey give me that food first well she knows this is all i got hey i mean this is a painful moment right here she can be selfish why well, i don't even want to say be selfish because i don't think it's selfish i mean i don't that's just normal okay and now you can make an argument for selfish, but it's just normal. Hey, I'm starving. Last bit of food. I don't know you. I'm normally going to take this. But this was a prophet. And he's saying that, I will, that God will provide for you as much as you need if you just trust me. It's faith. God always moves through faith. And so she's got to make a decision. I mean, she's a widow woman. No one cares about this lady. She's a nobody. Nobody's providing. Nobody's helping her. But God sent somebody here, and she's risking her son's life by saying, Here. And God's teaching her a lesson on provision. God's teaching her a lesson on humility. God's teaching her a lesson on giving. And in that moment, she obeys God by faith. And in that moment, Elijah obeys God by faith because he goes down to a widow woman. He could have said to God, why am I going here? Send me back to the palace and make them provide for me. I'm I'm an important prophet. Send me over to the school of prophets that we know they had at one point and allow them to take care of me because they're... they're, Why are you sending me to this poor widow woman's? I don't want to go down here. He could have. But he trusted God and he went. She trusted God and she gave and both of them got to watch God do a miracle because God not only provided for him but then every time she went to that that me that place to make something she always she had food constantly until that rain started back again god was teaching elijah and at the same time this widow woman the lesson on his provision that he will take care of us but we've got to live by faith elijah had to live by faith to get to the will of god down here she had to live by faith to give But when they lived by faith, God provided. It was a place of provision. But then finally it was this. It was a place of power. You know, when Elijah was in the palace, he talked about the power of God. Because when he was in the palace, he said, it's not going to rain until I say so. But it, it, I mean, it's been like three minutes since he said that. So uh, it was, okay, we'll wait and see. But he talked about the power of God. When he was in Cherith by that brook, he saw the power of God. Because he saw God bring ravens in twice a day, so he's talked about the power of God. Then he got to see the power of God. But in Zarephath, he actually began to display the power of God, because now he's seeing this this her food just continually come. He's he's seeing, and, and we're going to say, I don't want to get into next week because I think I'm going to talk next week about this widow woman again but we get to see another miracle happen next week and he's seeing the power of God because what is God doing God has taken Elijah in a moments of isolation but he's taking him behind the scenes and he's working in him like a school to prepare him to be used of God in the future and what i'm saying is this if you and i want those moments maybe you're not as ambitious maybe i hope you are but if you're like hey I really want those 1 Kings chapter 18 moments where it's like I'm battling and I'm calling down fire from heaven. I want that type of relationship with God. Well, then you need to have this moment of isolation with God. Chapter 18 is not going to be there unless we learn about humility, unless we learn about God's provision and we've got to trust Him, unless we learn about God's power. A lot of people get eager to say, I want this type of faith but it starts with these humble lessons and we've got to make sure that we are getting there where God wants us to be. And I don't know where you're there is. You're there maybe be going through a financial struggle right now. You're there may be going through a health a health battle right now or a difficulty in your marriage or it may be several things, but that's the place where maybe that you are and it's a place where you need to realize God's humility. You've got to get back to saying, God, would you, I need you here in this moment. I'm going to trust you and see God's power. But, but Elijah got to see it because he was there where exactly where God told him to. It didn't make sense. Why go to this brook? But God wanted to prepare him. So think about how God's preparing you. Think about how you're allowing God to prepare you. Are you even putting yourself in a position to be prepared by God? Do you, make, do you ever find any time of isolation where you say, I just want to get alone and talk to God? And it doesn't have to be weird and formal. It really doesn't. You don't have to put on a tie and kneel down, put your hands like this and cross. You don't have to do that. It doesn't have to be like, you don't come in, some people have called before and say, hey, can I come by the church on a Thursday so I can kneel at the altar and pray? Like More than welcome to do that, but you don't have to. Just go in your woods and look up to heaven and say, God, I don't know what's going on here. God, I can't... I, I can't pay this bill. God, I'm fearful about my health. Just cry out to God in isolation. But be willing to get to wherever God tells you to go. Be willing to be in that place to grow. Let's pray.